Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Until Dawn podcast. My name is Koi, and with me is my number one partner in crime, Felicia. Hello. I feel like I haven't recorded a show in forever with you. Well, it's been like since September. Yeah, September 20th. Yeah, I had foot surgery on the 21st of September. Yeah. And then I was pretty much immobile. Right. And then I got sick. Yes. I got hand, foot, and mouth disease (laughs) somehow. Because you're a kindergartner. Right. So, yeah, I couldn't even talk last time you recorded. No, you were quarantined. I was quarantined. Because the rest of us did not want hand, foot, and mouth. (laughs) But I'm all better now and ready to go. Right. And then we moved the studio to the basement. You moved the studio. Yeah, yeah. That there was, was also yeah, there, when I wasn't moving. By we, I mean me. Because you were, you were, well, that was when you were quarantined. So you definitely, <laughs> I mean, it looked like a scene from the movie Outbreak. <laughs> I've never funny. used so much Lysol and Lysol wipes in my life. Yeah. But yeah, new studio, new recording setup. We're we're on two different microphones now. And it's freezing cold in here. It's not so freezing cold. So I will cold. complain the entire time. <laughs> it's not freezing cold. It's like 67 degrees. Oh. I bet people in like Wisconsin would love to have 67 degrees. I don't know. Right now, what? It's November 5th. Yes. And it's like 77 outside. It's it's ridiculous. I know. Yeah. It's kind of crazy missouri weather right especially to think that we had halloween just the other day yeah which was really cold yes it actually felt like halloween as compared to last year last year i think it was really warm which we based our kids costumes off of last year so they had inflatable costumes one was athena was baymax and dagan was bb8 so they had inflatable costumes of blowing cold air on them the entire time <laughs> It was cute, though. They did. Everybody loved it. It was a pain in the ass to get them in and out of the car. Yeah. That was... Yeah, turning them off and on every time. I will never do inflatables again. Which you were still laid up in your boot at that time, so you couldn't... So I didn't even have to walk. No, you were just sitting in the driver's seat. Listening to podcasts. Yeah. We went and saw Jigsaw for my birthday. That was really good. It was... It was really good. As good as, you know, the Saw movies can be. I mean, it was just like all the other ones. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah, I think I had only watched the first three, and then I skipped the next 12. Yeah. Because it's like (laughs) Saw Saw 18 or something now. Yeah. But there was a new movie coming up that you wanted to see. Oh, yeah. That we saw a trailer for. What was it called? Winchester. It was called Winchester, the house House. that Ghost built. Is that what it was called? I totally made that up. Yeah. Where did I see that at? <laughs> but it was definitely just called Winchester House. I don't know. I feel like it said that. Uh, maybe it said it in the trailer, but that was definitely not the title. Of the movie. That should be the title because that was awesome. That was like the longest running title ever. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see that movie. I've always wanted to go there, but we never go right. to the West Coast. Okay, so I just looked it up and it is called Winchester, the house that goes built. Longest title ever. I just love it when I'm right <laughs> and you're wrong. Because usually when it comes to movies, I'm completely wrong. So Right. I'll give you that one. Yeah. So we also got a text message on the Until Dawn line. From, uh, this is from Nick from Wisconsin. 
It says, hey guys, this is Nick. I've been binge listening to you guys and y'all kick ass. Keep on keeping on. Two thumbs up. As a fellow paranormal fanatic, I can definitely tell you guys love what you do. Please don't stop the podcast. Well, that's not going to happen. I don't plan on stopping. Even if I'm the only one listening, I'll just keep on doing it. Because yeah, <laughs> I like doing it. You may be the only one listening. I probably You am. and Nick. Me and Nick. So, thanks for texting us, Nick. Appreciate that. Hope to hear from you again soon. So, I wanted to mention our t-shirt giveaway. We had said that when we re- reached 20 reviews on iTunes that we would give away a t-shirt. And we're like one away. Yeah. I'm excited. But now we switched from Apple phones to Android, so... So now we can't even see. I have to go back to my iPad right, right. to check. I think we should. I think we should open it up across the board. If you review us anywhere, you'll be number you'll be number twenty, and then we'll do the drawing for a T-shirt. Yep. So if you, so if you do it in something else, you need to like let us know. That let we, us know. That way we can make sure you're in for the drawing. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and uh, go get a refill on those spooky scoops. Some say it's a puma, others a giant ape, and still others say it's the sukara. A sukara? It's a new kind of animal to me. That's a famous jungle demon that tears living animals to shreds with its claws and then feeds upon them. Has been known to attack humans also. Hasn't so far, I hope. No. But I'm sure it will. All right, so for a first news story... I've got Void Found in the Great Pyramid in Egypt. This comes from Mysterious Universe. It says, The find revealed that following a two-year study involving muography, uh, sounds like some weird pseudoscience to me, but apparently it's it's a real thing, where they it's a scanning technique that's capable of sensing dens- density, can't talk, density changes in rock structures so they pretty much use that in order to scan the pyramid to find any hidden chambers or anything like that and that's pretty much what actually ended up happening i wonder if that would be like the thing they use to scan the ground to look for bodies i think they use ground penetrating sonar for that oh (laughs) but pretty much same idea for the most part Whereas with that, they kind of looks like a giant lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Just do, 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 pumping along. This, I guess they released a chemical or it wasn't, I guess, a chemical. It was they used muons to do it, <laughs> which I don't even know what that is either. Especially since I didn't know what muography was. But they did this and they were able to actually find a large void in the pyramid that was like 30 meters or nearly 100 feet in in length and it was actually situated above the grand gallery which i don't know what that is i don't know a whole lot about the pyramids but this story was really interesting to me and so i guess that was located above it they don't know if it was part of the construction in order to lessen the weight of the structure so that it wouldn't collapse in on itself or they're saying it could just be a giant unknown chamber. What does this of... mean? Okay, I'm trying to follow. So it's hollow? 
Right. There's a huge like 30 meter section like room or chamber above this other room that is never that's never been discovered before. Okay. It's a brand like brand new discovery in the All pyramids. Right. Like it's the first discovery in like a century. I guess we need to ask the Masons. <laughs> anyway like I said it doesn't they don't know exactly what it is because they haven't been able to penetrate into this chamber yet they have to get approval from the I guess whoever is in charge of it the Egyptian authorities will actually need to still give them permission before they can actually enter it but they so at this point they don't know their their goal is to drill through this chamber and use some sort of robot to go in there and with some sort of I guess camera I guess like a drone what do you think I don't know what I think <laughs> I don't know anything about pyramids or honestly I couldn't find Egypt on a map I really couldn't. I don't know. Well, the, the map's labeled, so... <laughs> okay, I could, technically, but, but I won't even lie. I don't know. I don't know. I, this, to me, this is exciting. But then again, too, as like a kid, I was like, oh, I'm going to grow up and be Indiana Jones. Right. That's but, our kids. They're like, we're going to grow up and be Josh Gates. Yeah. They all love him. Well, that's because he has, like, the best job. Yeah, he does. That's true. So what do you got? Okay, so... I actually, This one's actually old. I got it because I was planning on doing it on the last episode, and then... Then you got the sickness. Then I got down with the sickness. <laughs> I, look I wish I could do the little disturbed like <laughs> monkey noise, that, as the kids call it. I'm a closet disturbed fan. I think everyone should be a closet disturbed <laughs> fan. <laughs> okay, so this came from Riverbend.com. And UFOs cited... Over Alton, in the early hours of Tuesday morning, part of small area flap of sightings. A strange aerial object was sighted by a group of friends talking on the back deck of a building on Langdon in Alton. Altonian Ian Whitmore said he sighted the object after midnight Tuesday morning with a group of few friends. He said it appeared in the southeastern sky toward the Clark Bridge. Whitmore said he noticed a light in his periphery... Periphery... Peripheral? <laughs> That's not what it says. It's peripheral. <laughs> That's what they meant to say. Yeah, but ignored it for as long as half an hour before realizing it was not similar to any plane, planet, star, or other atmospheric phenomenon of which he was familiar. I was sitting around chatting with some friends and had noticed the light in the sky from my peripheral view, but ignored it for probably 20 to 30 minutes until it finally struck me that the light wasn't budging. So it wasn't a plane like I had assumed. Whitmore said in a Facebook message, We observed it flash red and blue very intensely for another 20 minutes until we decided to look up what the light is. Whitmore said the unidentified flying object was like a cop car in the sky. He said it was formless at times but appeared to be circular. He said it emitted bright flashes of red and blue lights like cartoon stars. Whitmore and his friends, being logical skeptics, they said, began researching astronomical and meteorological phenomena to find the source of the object. After using several sources that util utilized Hubble Telescope and NASA data, 
we concluded that the object was not identified currently as a planet or star. He said we watched it flash at the rate for several hours by the time it was all said and done. It flashed more intensely at random spurts, but, a, but at every moment remained much brighter and larger than anything else in the sky. The object was stationary for that entire time, Whitmore said, which would mean it existed within the confines of the Earth's atmosphere, not bound by its rotation through the cosmos. The duration of the object's stationary ho hovering also discounts a suspicion of Whitmore's friend the object was a drone. Most commercial-use drones would have to have recharged batteries to sustain that amount of flight time. Whitmore said that the object was far away. However, it was clear that something that was that was quite far away, he said. My final thoughts were that it was either an unidentified star out there in a supernova or something, or perhaps something even stranger. The phenomena was not visible from the exact location the next night at any point. We looked thoroughly. Calls to the MUFON of Illinois were answered with the assertion the Riverbend area is a hot spot for such activity. He said three reports from Illinois were entered within a few days of Whitmore's sighting. The night before, a sighting was reported from Hamill, Illinois, which lasted for hours as well. The following is a witness report from the MUFON live sighting map. On the night of October 15, 2017, at roughly 8.35 p.m. Central Standard Time, my girlfriend and I were driving down Fruit Road in between Edwardsville and Hamill, Illinois, in Madison County, 30 minutes outside of St. Louis. We noticed one larger-than-star-sized light in the sky glowing in orange and witnessed it remaining motionless in the night sky for roughly 15 minutes before we pulled over on Frontage Road the parallels Interstate 55. The objects were roughly north and northeast of our position when we stopped the car. Once parked, a second object appeared in the sky that looked similar, similar but may or may not have been associated with this phenomenon. We began to photograph and film the anom anomalous floating object in the sky, and shortly after recording, the original object began to move. At first, in an eastern direction and then southeast toward our vehicle until it flew directly overhead at this point. At that point we witnessed but did not record the previous previously homogeneous orange glow re reveal itself to be a constant orange glow followed by a series of successive lights that flashed in an order pattern appearing to be on the same craft. Over the course of the next three hours multiple orange glowing objects appeared from the same point on the horizon only follow a sim similar pattern of hovering then flying in various directions, but not necessarily in the same direction as with the ones before. Overall, four to five craft were observed. Wow. Yeah. Another report from Fenton, Missouri, which is a lot closer to us, Yeah. was reported to move on on October 15th. So that was the same night. It reads, I was taking our dog for a walk on Cinewood drive to Fabic Lane in Fitton, Missouri, when at approximately 10 o'clock to 10.15 p.m., my dog started barking. I looked up and witnessed a large dark craft, which was long like a sil cylinder over the tree line with three or four emerald to pine green, iridescent but non-flashing lights underneath, moving from what I believe is the southwest to the northeast of where I was standing. It appeared to be under a mile, and I witnessed a faint, almost non-noticeable beam protruding from the back of the craft but not illuminating the trees. I could see a shadow from the craft on the tree treetops, but no light hitting them. 
I did not hear any sound coming from it, and my phone shut off and restarted on its own. The object appeared to be moving about 20 to 30 miles per hour until it stopped in the distance, then I lost view of it. A call to NASA regarding the incident was not returned. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> NASA, doesn't, NASA doesn't like returning phone calls. No. I don't know what's more amazing, the, the story or the, the writer's use of large scientific words. <laughs> right? That Whitmore guy is a genius. He probably has the number for his NASA. I don't even know what you, like, I guess you could Google it. I don't even know number. what I read. What I find interesting is, you know, he said it was there for hours. Right. The other person said 30 minutes, but no one got a picture. You, yeah. That's what drives me crazy. At least the other guy said his phone started or right. stopped and restarted. So, like, yeah. As much as, like, people take pictures of their food at dinner time. Like, you couldn't get, pull your phone out in time to get a picture of a UFO. That, that was, was hovering there. above you for hours. Right. But they had time to, like, look it up on the internet and check NASA and everything to make right. sure it wasn't a star. <laughs> I'm not saying he's lying, but, you know, just surprised. So you said you had another story for us? Um, yes. This one comes from British Columbia. Bigfoot believer takes British Columbia government to court. Oh. So you should like this one. I got it for you because it's Sasquatch. A Sasquatch tracker tracker from Golden aims to take the provincial government to court to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the legendary creature roams the British Columbia wilderness. In a civil lawsuit filed in British Columbia Supreme Court on Monday, Todd Standing accused the BC Ministry of Environment and the BC, BC Fish and Wildlife Branch of dereliction of duty pertaining to the interest of an in indigenous wildlife species. The Bigfoot researcher said he will provide physical evidence, video, and eyewitness accounts to prove that the hairy primate's existence and asked the court to require a government biologist to accompany him into known Sasquatch habitat <laughs> for three months to further his claims. Reached by phone and Golden, Standing said... He's been working on the lawsuit for over a year, but he couldn't find a lawyer to take it on. <laughs> Go figure. Of course, right? Frustrated and tired of having his evidence discounted, he decided to proceed on his own. I want the truth to come out, he said Thursday. Standing said he's lined up several scientists, including a professor from Idaho State University. I guess he's like, if I get an American, right. it'll work better. To provide evidence, including footprints and genetic analysis of materials found in... BC, Alberta, and across the Western U.S. He's also asking anyone who has encountered, write this down so you can, if you encounter it, anyone that's encountered a Sasquatch to contact him through his website, sylvanic.com, that's S-Y-L-V-A-N-I-C.com, to testify. This is our chance, he said. We're only going to get one shot at this and we need to succeed. What? what? <laughs> it's, it's like, is it going extinct? Like no, it's going to court. One shot. Yeah. Standing said his ultimate goal is to protect the species, which likes to be left alone, but will accept a person that they trust. He <laughs> said the Sasquatch near Golden Ears and Harrison Hot Springs haven't been receptive to his investigations. Oh. But he's had, maybe he needs that Bigfoot juice or whatever. Yeah. The big, yeah. The Bigfoot attractant yeah. from North Carolina. But he's had success filming and interacting with creatures in the Kootenay area. He told his story about a group he was studying near Morley Creek that got skinny and weak, and then they eventually disappeared. 
My thing is, if I see a Sasquatch, it's getting skinny and weak. Like, how long are you watching I'm going to give it? it some food. Well, that's me. Like, is it like just shriveling up in front of you? Right, like, what? I, like, how long were you standing there watching it? Good question. Well, he said he, I don't know. When I explored the area further, this is where the ones got skinny and weak. I discovered that there had been extensive logging, he said. Standing once took Les Stroud, TV's survivor man, into the backcountry to search for Sasquatch. Studied wildlife at the University of Alberta. He said he set out to prove that Sasquatch couldn't exist because there was no space in the ecosystem for them. But soon, he became convinced of the opposite. But the Sasquatch tracker has also attracted his fair share of controversy, even amongst Bigfoot believers. Team Sasquatch in USA, a website devoted to Bigfoot, questioned Standing's credentials in a 2014 blog post asking if he was a legit Bigfoot researcher or hoaxer. The BC man's video footage of a Sasquatch has been both dismissed and praised in online Bigfoot communities. According to his website, Standings runs a week-long expedition charging US, U.S. dollars $4,800 for a breathtaking adventure into the Canadian wilderness. What? That's insane. Like $4,000 to go... 4800 Right. Which also does not include... Your airfare or supplies or... I would rather go to Disney. Of course you would rather go to Disney. <laughs> a documentary about standing Sasquatch encounters will be released on some pay-per-view channels Friday. He said that the court case wasn't publicly stunt tied to the film. Wasn't a publicity stunt tied to the film, but rather part of his quest to prove the primate's existence. I've been doing this, fighting for this, for over a decade, he said. The film is proof. Benjamin Rafford, deputy editor of the Skeptical Inquirer magazine, <laughs> said the most compelling argument against Bigfoot's existence is the lack of hard evidence. We should see teeth, bones, hair, scat, and other forensic evidence of their existence, he said in an email. If even one Bigfoot exists, it should be very easy to pr prove because we would have genetic and forensic evidence of an unknown humanoid. Which isn't true, because they're always discovering new things. Right. So, I'd love for Bigfoot to exist and to be the first to see one, he added, but I need good evidence. None of Standing's assertions have been proven in court, and provincial government hasn't yet responded to the civil claim. Attorney General David Ebby chuckled when asked about the civil action regarding an alleged Bigfoot cover-up. It's top secret, and I can't talk about it, he said. <laughs> That's the best response ever. Yeah, it is. And that came from the Vancouver Sun.com. That's mind blowing. So why did why does he need a civil lawsuit with the government? Because he's in once, order to prove. I'm not saying he's a tree hugger, but he's a tree hugger. <laughs> like he's blaming it on logging and right. So basically, I think he's trying to do it to stop logging. I mean, is there going to be like a giant Bigfoot reserve? Right. Is that I think the, that's what he wants. That's his goal. And, and then when there is one, they will all go there because it's safe. Oh, right. That's the. the and then big, you can pay your four thousand eight hundred dollars to go, to go and observe. View them. Yeah. So it's like a natural zoo, a bigfoot. Bigfoot, bigfoot reserve. Yeah. That's that's crazy. That's all I got. All right. Well. If that's all you got, let's take a quick break and dive into our main topic, Waverly Hills Sanatorium. 
A sudden draft from a window that was supposed to have been closed. A chill at the back of the neck. Groans, creaks, and bumps in the night. Man has always been frightened by the dark. Troubled by noises just beyond the reach of lights. Occurrences just beyond the reach of understanding. Okay, so I've been really excited about this episode. Yeah, this is one of the, you know, one of the bucket list places pretty much for everybody. Yeah, I think I investigated there about two years ago. Yeah, that sounds right. With lips and another one that you couldn't go to. Right. Because of life. Right. You know, because I think it was what? It was August. August or September or something. Oh, was it May? May. Yeah, it was May. And yeah, the The kids kids were were still still in school. And you got stuck home with them. And, well, I was in school. You were in school. And because I get to make my own schedule at work, I get to travel when you don't usually. Right. Which I'm not complaining about. That's awesome. Unfortunately, you do get left behind a lot, though. Right. Well, that's the the joys of still being in in school. Once, At some point in these next, you know, thousand years, I will finish college. (laughs) You are a professional student. Right. I think your paperwork said... Super senior. Super senior. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a thing. I think I have like seven or ten classes left, and like I think I have enough. Already have enough credits to have graduated by now, like 160 hours or some craziness. With no degree. With no degree. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, so Waverly Hills. It's located outside of Louisville, Kentucky. That's actually not located like outside outside is it because i think because i always picture it like being off in the woods kind of like i don't know i picture it like the movies it is kind of off in the woods but it's like outside a golf course it's not in the city it's out in the country but there is a golf course right there which when i was driving up i was like what the hell (laughs) you know you're thinking spooky and then you're driving by a golf course and right so all the orbs are actually like golf balls flying through the air. <laughs> Touche. All right. So Waverly Hills Sanatorium sits on land that was purchased by Major Thomas H. Hayes in 1883. He was neat, in need of a school for his daughters to attend. So he built a one room schoolhouse, which is crazy. Like, he, I don't know. That's like homeschoolers, homeschooling at the biggest. Like, I will build you your own school. He hired a teacher named Lizzie Lee Harris to teach at the school. Her love for the tiny school, in addition to her fondness for Scott's Waverly novels, prompted her to name the little schoolhouse Waverly School. Major Hayes, he liked that name so much that he chose to name the property Waverly Hill. And later, when the Board of Tuberculosis purchased the land for the hospital, they just kept the name Waverly Hills. I'm still like stuck back on the Waverly novels. Are, what I don't are know. Waverly novels? I don't know what they Is are. Is it a genre? Is it the. I'm going to have to look that up because I'm a big book person. Yeah, I've only and... finished two books and both of them have been audible. <laughs> <laughs> like two books this year and both were audible books. Yeah. <laughs> the building standing right now, the really large one, is not the original hospital. The original sanatorium was a two-story frame building. Construction it was, construction on this building began in 1908 and it opened for business on July 26, 1910. 
it would only accommodate 40 to 50 tuberculosis patients. So quite a bit, like way right, smaller that's like than tiny. It's like little house on the prairie. Right. The idea was to uh, isolate the tuberculosis patients from the general public, and they placed emphasis on areas where they could rest, stay calm, and have plenty of fresh air. The sanatoriums, they were often built up on high hills surrounding by woods to create a serene atmosphere to help the patients recover. It's actually a good idea. Yeah, I mean, everything... Like, that sounds so good to me. Like, I want to go to a sanatorium <laughs> and chill. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. But, I mean, given the knowledge and the state of medicine at the time, I mean, all that makes sense. You know, isolate them. And they did not know what was causing it at the time. Right. Like, they did not know that it was yeah, like an air airborne. Yeah, like an airborne bacteria or something. Right. So, almost immediately, like I said, it could accommodate 40 to 50 people. They were filled with like 140 patients. So it was obvious that they needed to build a larger hospital. That makes sense because obviously with overcrowding, you're not going to no, It's just going to spread even more. Right. Uh, Waverly Hills itself, it was a self-contained community. I don't know if you knew that. It had its own zip code. It had its own radio station. It had its own like school. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, it a, makes, it, like like I said, I mean, that all makes sense, but just, you know, it's just something that elaborate at that time is just... Right. And they were trying to make it as self-sufficient as pro possible, probably because they didn't want you know, people coming in. And, right. Because yeah. someone gets sick and then they just take it back out Although there in town. they allowed visitors, so... <laughs> but like I said, they didn't know it was airborne. They had their own post office, water treatment facility. They grew their own fruits and vegetables, raised their own meat for slaughter, maintained many other necessities of everyday life. It's said that anyone associated with Waverly, like doctors, nurses, the patients, when they went there, they like pretty much had to like leave their other life behind and they became a permanent resident, which sounds scary, right? Like, that pretty much says like, I'm going there to die. Right. Yeah. Um, so they couldn't go back and forth home. And, uh, but like I said, the odd thing is they still allowed visitors to come in. So Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. I mean, I guess they just figured that somebody would only be there visiting an hour. Right. So they weren't going to contract the virus. Right. They didn't have, you know, day-to-day. -day, they're less likely to get infected, I guess, is what right. their logic was. So due to overcrowding, in 1924, they started the new building, which would could house at least 400 patients. So they started construction in March of 1924, and it finished in October of 1926, and it served as a tuberculosis hospital until 1961. At that point, a discovery of antibiotic was made, and it successfully treated and cured tuberculosis, so it pretty much made sanatoriums obsolete. So they quarantined it for about a year, and then it reopened in 1962 as the Woodhaven Medical Services. It was a geriatric facility. And then um, it ran for quite a while. In 1981, it was closed by the state because of poor living conditions and improper treatment of the patients. That's, that's pretty big 
for especially for that time because I mean it was not like you know people are coming and going all the time there wasn't a whole lot of travel and so that's probably a pretty big deal for something like that on that scale to get shut down yeah I mean I'm sure they were happy for it to be because it meant tuberculosis wasn't running rampant anymore I think about the patients that had to go in after I think it would kind of freak me out knowing where I was going. You know, I was going to Waverly Hills to stay. I looked up different treatments that were used for TB, you know, at the facility. Well, that should be interesting. Yeah. Well, the most common was rest, fresh air, good food, and competent medical care, which so, is what anyone wants. So they're treating it like the cold. Right. But then it gets weird. Like, you know, they just did not know how to treat this because... The disease was not understood at all. They would do a lobectomy and pneumectomy. It's where the doctors would surgically remove infected parts of the lungs and sometimes even the whole lung. The phrenectomy, which is the phrenic nerve crush. Not like a friendectomy. Like you you get rid of that like clinger friend. (laughs) No, not that. The nerve supplied to one diaphragm is cut off. The diaphragm is then paralyzed and it remains in a relaxed relaxed phase that is higher in the chest i don't know what any of that meant but it sounded absolutely it like sounds horrible and not to mention it too i'm thinking like them doing this like back in like the late 50s i know have you seen pictures of well, them I've, doing it to patients i haven't seen the pictures of them doing it but it's terrifying but I at just, that point what do you have to lose your life your lung <laughs> but yeah i mean exactly your life you're gonna die so why not try stuff, right? Heliotherapy, which is sun treatment, doesn't sound so bad. It was used in the treatment of tuberculosis of the glands, bones, joints, skin, eyes, urinary tract. It was just basically sunbathing. They thought it would help kill <laughs> whatever caused tuberculosis. Like, you just need more vitamin D. <laughs> I just picture him like pushing them out to like tanning beds. Right, pretty much. Uh, Thoracoplasty. It refers to the surgical removal of several ribs, bones from the chest wall in order to collapse a lung. The average patient, they would uh, remove seven to eight ribs, though most surgeons preferred to only remove two or three ribs at a time, which just means that they had to go through more surgeries to get ribs removed. Instead of doing it at once, they would slowly do it. Artificial pneumothorax, it's a method of treatment which consists of the introduction of air into the pleural cavity or between the coverings of the lung, which collapses the diseased area, finally leading to complete recovery. Which I would say probably did not work, actually. Right, finally leading to complete (laughs) Um, Patients that could not have artificial pneumothorax thorax for treatment they were prescribed posterior rest the patient lies on the effective side and this restricts the excursion of the lungs and puts it at partial rest so if your left side was bad you had to lay on your left side all the time (laughs) (laughs) i mean they're funny now but right i just picture them like sitting around in an office with like a giant dart board like all right well we're going to try and throw in a dart like no let's try this let's try laying on the bad side yeah. Another treatment for patients who had infections of both lungs is the shot bag method. 
A bag containing one pound of shot is placed on either collarbone of the patient and the amount of shot is increased four or five ounces each week until the patient is carrying five pounds of weight on the upper part of each lung. This was thought to restrict the excursion of the lungs and teaches correct breathing and produces partial rest for the lungs. <laughs> I don't know what shot is. What is shot? I don't know. Like lead? I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm thinking shotgun shells. So I'm thinking of like carrying like ball bearings around. <laughs> right. Then that probably is not right. Another thing that I heard was they would put balloons into the lungs and inflate them to help. I did them hear breathe. about that, which is I just all pictured them doing all this in the fifties. I just pictured like absolutely horribly, like them just like throwing stuff around. I just imagine the amount of like infections and right. Yeah, it's scary. Thank God for modern medicine, right? Right. Like, I just picture, like, all the stuff they would have done when you had foot surgery back then. <laughs> they probably just cut your foot off. Like, oh, you have... At some, one point, I would have been okay with that. You have nerve damage? Oh, we're just going to have to cut that thing right. off at, at the knee. Obviously, a lot of these treatments were unsuccessful. <laughs> um, I've seen quotes on paranormal shows in quotations, <laughs> that said that there's been like 64,000 bodies. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that number tossed around, like 63,000 people that was died there. passed through the body chute, which, is, which was built to remove the bodies without people seeing. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. It was actually built to bring supplies and stuff in, and for the staff to be able to move around easily in bad weather, it ended up being the body chute, where they would take bodies out without people noticing right which i mean that that's you know that makes sense i mean you, nothing gets more discouraging than seeing sixty-three thousand people pass dead but there wasn't it was actually only between i think seven and eight thousand have been confirmed to die there right which is a lot more realistic right sixty-three thousand sounds hella good on tv though mm -hmm. so all right so i guess that kind of leads us into Waverly Hills now, which you know now the main the main purpose for that for the building now is pretty much because of the paranormal activity, and one that you just mentioned the body shoot which has now gone a far cry from where the original purpose was right. for transporting supplies and people, and now you know. Majority of all the paranormal investigators say it's haunted because of the amount of bodies that pass through there. The supposed 63,000 right. dead bodies, <laughs> which, you know, take a good 60,000 off of that. Right. But, and that's one of the places that everyone wants to go. And a lot of the hauntings are, or supposed hauntings or whatever you want to call it. EVPs, people being touched, cold spots. I don't know of any actual forceful, you know, occurrences. I haven't, I wasn't able to find anything on that. Anybody actually being scratched or pushed or anything like that, but you were actually there. So you can give us some firsthand knowledge on what you had. Um, bats, lots of bats, lots of bats. <laughs> that was my experience in there. It was really cool though, to be able to stand in it kind of creepy to know what all happens, but I don't think I ever walked all the way to the end of it, like down to the bottom. 
was it's actually it's really long i think isn't it like almost like a quarter mile or something like that i i don't know i won't even pretend that i do we did we did spend a lot of time doing evps in there um i don't think we've got anything because of the bats and we were actually kind of screaming because they were <laughs> diving at our heads so yeah that's a, that is one downside that's the that's the big uh the big difference between reality and paranormal reality TV shows. Right. What a lot of people don't know is that that, you know, 45 minutes to an hour long show took place over like three to four days. Right. And it's all just kind of cut together. It's not them just going there one time. Cause you could go to a spot and all the paranormal investigators know you could go to a spot that's said to be, the most haunted place in the world. Waverly Hills. And nothing happened. Right. But speaking of stuff happening, that kind of goes into the next, besides the body shoot, one of the other most haunted spots within Waverly, and that's room 502. Yeah, that's at the very top of Waver of the building. It's uh, kind of hard to explain. It's, it's on the roof, if I remember right, but it's like a little area on top of the roof. With like some rooms. That yeah, because that's kind of like their, I guess, or their porch or right sunroom. It's like sunrooms, yeah. And I believe children. There was a swing set up there, not now, that, but I seen pictures. That would be terrifying. Where like, they would take kids up there to play, which would take, never happen now. Right. Let me take you five stories up in the air and then put you on a swing. Right with no fence. All right. So besides the body shoot, one of the other big attractions of Waverly Hills is room five hundred two. And that's because, supposedly, back in 1928, a nurse named Mary Hillenberg was found hanged in the room. Some people say that she was found hung in the doorway. Other people say that she was actually found hanging from a light fixture. I say supposedly because there's actually no documentation of her death. The other rumors is that the reason she hung herself was because that she discovered that she was pregnant. Of course, this is the, this is back in the 1930s, and she was not married. So back then, that was like horrible. And on top of that, she was supposedly pregnant from a doctor that actually worked in Waverly. Naturally, they couldn't leave. I mean, come on, <laughs> gotta have your fun. Right. Yeah, you are stuck there. So, and some people also say that it wasn't a suicide; that the, actually the doctor killed her, and that the baby was found in the sewer system. I don't know if you've heard that. No, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, there's know. so, and then there was another one that the baby was found in the elevator shaft. Sounds like it needs to be a, turned into a movie. Right. There might even already be a lifetime movie based on this. Yeah. Now, when we went, we were. When we were taken on the tour before we investigated, they they told us that she was found hanging outside of the room by the light fixture. So, right, all all subject to rumors and speculation. I guess if there's if they're telling it there, I would say that's probably the closest to the truth. Now, on top of that, in 1932, there was also a nurse that supposedly. Jumped to her suicide, to her suicide, jumped to her death, which would cause a suicide. And of course, there's speculation with that as well. Some say she was pushed. I heard that she saw the ghost 
of Mary Hillenburg and jumped because she was scared. She was scared to death. She was scared to death. So, I don't know. I've, like I said, I haven't been there. You have. I'm sure you guys did quite a bit of investigating in there. Yeah, we did a lot of EVP work, and then we used the rim pod. We did get some some lights and stuff from the rim pod in that area. Oh, from the from the inner from it something yeah. coming close energy wise. Right, that was the only thing we got there. I um, I mentioned that picture earlier because I was looking up trying to find. I found a list of like employees and stuff, and in that list, I did not find Mary Hillenberg. So at first, I was like, ah, oh, gotcha. But then when I was looking at old pictures and stuff, that picture that I was talking about with the swing set with the kids, there's a nurse sitting with them. And in the article underneath, it said it was Nurse Mary Hillenburg. Dun, dun, dun. So I thought that was kind of cool. It's cool to hear a story about someone and then actually Be see able to go picture. back and yeah, see the, find, go through the history of it and actually find something that ties it together. Because if there was a, you know, quote unquote conspiracy, maybe there wouldn't be any documentation. They are a self-contained, you know, unit out there. And the plot thickens. Yeah. So, the, speaking of famous people for Waverly, one of them is a, a child named Timmy. Well, we went, we were told, I think it was the, I think it was the fourth floor. It's been so long. They said that that's where he haunted. There was like a room at the end and um, supposedly he'll play with balls, roll balls around the floor. So we tried that. We didn't get any activity from that. Right. Some of the stuff I was able to find said that he was a six or seven year old boy. I don't know how they determined that unless there was a, you know, there's documentation of a six or seven year old boy that actually died there, which obviously, you know, that's with having children there in a sanatorium. That's a very good possibility. One thing interesting about that is that Parents that would come there because they had tuberculosis, they would bring their kids because there's nowhere for the kids to go. Right. So even kids that weren't sick were kept at Waverly. Back on the subject, that was my lipstick. Um, <laughs> sorry. Of Timmy, I actually found an article because you said he was like six to seven years old. Right. I found an article, and um. It actually says that he was 11 years old and that he fell to his death from the roof. Probably off so, that swing set. Probably. Um, and the thing about that article, that's the one that actually has the picture with Nurse Mary Hillenburg in it. So, What year is the article from? Uh, I don't see on here. It, I just have a snapshot of the article. It'd be real. It'd be really good if it like it was dated around like the night, like nineteen twenty eight or something. Right. It said that he was playing on the fifth floor roof playground. It didn't. It didn't release his name. It just said in. This is what's funny. It's not funny because it's death, but it just said the victim was identified as N T F. But then the next paragraph goes on to say Timmy was a very nice boy. <laughs> so they actually didn't do a good do good job of right. disguising his name. But I will post that article on our Until Dawn podcast page so that people can see it on the Facebook page. And I guess that kind of brings us to, I guess, the probably the most famous 
haunting of Waverly Hills, and that's the creeper. Yes. That is fourth floor. And so maybe you can enlighten us a little bit on that since we're not. <laughs> I've heard two different stories on the creeper as the paranormal goes. The first I've heard is that the creeper is a shadow figure. That's in both stories. Um, I've heard that he's more like a mist or blob, like I can't think of the word I'm looking for, that creeps along the floor and up the hallway. You know, it'll come along the ceiling and basically just scare right, the shit like, out of people. It's like everything you see in every scary movie that right. has to do with ghosts. I've also heard that it's a shadow figure of, like, a man. Which was way more scary to me. Like, I don't know. Right. Well, shadow figures are scary in general. Right. And I've some of the stuff I've heard is, like, yeah, like, I've heard he's, like, a non-human entity. And, you know, which, uh, you know, obviously demonic. But then I've, I've heard other things. I've heard that, like, he is a shadow figure, a human entity, but because of what he did in his, you know, in his life, he is a, a dark presence about him. Right. Which I have never heard anything about where they think he comes from. Like right. what's made him manifest there. I do say, I swear, and I may be crazy, I am a paranormal investigator, that when we were walking in that hallway, I had looked to the left in a room and I swear I saw like the shape of a man. Right. And that's he, how and he that's, had a hat on, which makes me laugh because I'm super scared of Freddy Krueger. And he, he <laughs> it looked like a fedora. And it like scared me and I stopped. And then I said something to the girls. I was like, I don't know. I was like, oh shit, I just seen a man or something. I probably said that word. But then we went back or I walked back and there was nothing there. And I don't know, when you see that, you kind of wonder, was your mind playing tricks on you? Right. But a lot of the accounts, too, that I read I read about and stuff, that's how a lot of them go. They saw, you know, they saw something out of their peripheral vision, or they saw somebody standing in a room and went back and nothing was there. Yeah. I know it's, it really scared me. So, that's one thing that sticks out in my mind about Waverly Hills was when I seen that. So... You know, that kind of, that rounds up like some of the bigger, you know, known hauntings of, the, of it. What, uh, so why don't you give us a little glimpse into what your experience was like when you were there? Okay. Well, we had, I cannot, I wish I could remember our tour guide's name. He had told us, we went into the lunchroom and he told us, you know, just about, that's where they fed the kids lunch and he kind of laid, laid it out for us. We spent a lot of time investigating in there. It wasn't that things were happening. It was just more feelings. And it's the only time this has ever happened to me on investigation, but I got like super emotional. I don't know. It was, it was weird. Like got you right in the feels. It got me in the feels. I was sitting on a couch at the side. And then at first I got the super, super creepy feeling, which I didn't want to admit I was scared because I was with all the girls, you know. So then I moved up to like the stage. I think they had a stage sitting there. And then I just got this emotion, like sadness over me. So I had to leave and then I went back and I was telling the girls about it. And then I like kind of started tearing up because of the feels. But that was a really, I've never had that happen to me. So. Well, that I mean, it's, that's not uncommon. I, you know, for our, you, you know, someone to 
suddenly have some sort of sense of emotion either way especially if they're you know the you know there is a paranormal entity there um other than that unfortunately we didn't get a lot of evidence there was one time whenever i don't know if you've seen it there was like a weird flash that we caught on some of our night vision cameras and we had one set up on each side of this room and it only appears on one of the cameras it was just like a flash that burst out of thin air so I thought that was interesting because with the camera on the other side of that room, if anybody was walking over there or taking pictures, we would have caught them and there was nothing. So uh, that was really yeah, interesting. Yeah, that is strange. It was a really bright, almost like a lightning, but it was just appeared in the middle of the frame and shot outward. So that was really cool. Other than that, I feel like I should have a shirt that said, I went to Waverly Hills and all I got was this t-shirt because I re we really didn't get any evidence. We spent two days there. Right. Which kind of goes back to you know what I was saying earlier where, you know, you could go there and have everything, you know, under the sun happen or you could go there and nothing could happen. That's kind of how you know, you know, the real from the fake. Right. Yeah. I do recommend anyone go. I, it's super hard to book. They're booked way out. But if you can go, even to go for a tour would be nice. I would like to go back and do that. Definitely going back with you so you can see it. Yeah. I think your mom went with me that time. Mm -hmm. So check that off the bucket list for me. I uh, like, I hate to keep going back to feelings, but you know, sometimes when you investigate, that's all you get. Well, that's what you, you know, you have to base it off of at the time. I mean, you don't know what you're getting on your recorder. Right. Um, I remember the surgical room or floor. It had a really heavy feeling. Um, I also remember that there was a hole in the wall there. Probably, I don't know, cabinets or something were in it. This is just kind of funny. But I remember Libby was telling me, like, go over there and look or something. I was scared to death. And she's like, what are you so scared of? And I was like, a raccoon. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like a raccoon was going to jump out of that spot. Just scared me. Too many scary movies. You're, <laughs> right. waiting for that, you're waiting for that jump scare to happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it was really interesting to see those rooms because there are so many windows. Like now in an OR, there would not be open windows. But I guess because that's what they, you know, they thought fresh air. Right. So, well, not to mention too, I mean, what they were doing at that time was probably considered like cutting edge right. medicine. Yeah. So it was really cool to see and strange to see the windows everywhere. I want to make sure everybody checks out our Facebook page because I have a ton of pictures, like when it was in operation and then pictures that I took while we were there that I'm going to upload. It's really cool to see those. There's also a couple newspaper articles I found that I'll upload. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, no, nothing I can think of. I think that pretty much covers it. I know there, I mean, there's tons and tons of stories that we could, you know, dive into, but the pro, you know, without a lot of stuff to, you know, to back it up, that's kind of just what it is. It's stories. I mean, like I said, go there, check it out. I definitely plan to. Right. Um, they even have a haunted house that they operate in October. That makes sense. Put a haunted house in a haunted sanatorium. Right. It's kind of like. They paint like scary skulls on the walls, which is can 
really freak you out when you're investigating. You right. walk around a corner and there's like something standing there. That'd Not be, really, but it looks like it is. Right. That'd be, that would be funny. I think that scared us quite a bit too. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, any type of revenue they can get, you know, that's that, you know, that keeps these places open. So, right. you know, I wish more places thought about that, like historic, because I see them going to ruins, but. You know, I've emailed a couple about investigating, and they're like, no, we don't want to be known for that. I feel like they're missing a chance right, to you know. really receive funds to help. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of paranormal, you know, groups and whatever, they will hold a, uh, you know, events there, get people to come in and stuff. So, and that's, you know, that's a lot of what Waverly does, and that's why the building's still standing today, so. Yep. But. I think that's all I have for Waverly Hills. I have to stop at some point because I will talk forever on that place. <laughs> I had to like pick out little pieces pieces that I wanted to talk about. Little nuggets. Nuggets, yeah. I wish that when I was at Fort Knox, Kentucky, I knew about Waverly. I did not, which is really sad for me because, you know, I could have went there back then. That was in the 90s. So actually, I think it probably was abandoned at that point. Because I don't think, no, there was a guy that was going to tear it down and build the world's largest Jesus statue. That's right. I remember, yeah, I remember that reading about that. That would have been happening that. about that time. And then, thank God that failed. No pun intended. Um, because now they have it and they're, they're, you know, opening it up to people. So. Did that do it? That's all I got. I got to quit right. talking. <laughs> Final thoughts on Waverly. What's your thoughts? I, I I think it's haunted. I think regardless of the you know the number of victims, I, I feel like does not have anything to do with whether it's haunted. Patients. Okay, they were kind of victims. Or I guess you know victims, <laughs> patients. It, you know, today I guess they're I would I would consider them victims just because of modern science. Like now we have medicine for that. At the time, yeah, they were patients. They weren't victims. <laughs> I'm just used to the majority of the places we have where people are just murdered. Right. <laughs> but I think I do. I think I think it's haunted. Obviously, the number of people that you know that passed away there possibly has something to do with it. But I don't. I don't think that has something to do with whether a place is actually haunted or not. I have a lot. You know, a lot of it has to do with energy and stuff of that nature. Emotions. Right. You know. Yeah. That's that's how places where someone didn't die. But they end up haunting that place anyway because they have an attachment to it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's haunted. And I can't wait to go investigate it. Yeah. I think that, well, it's definitely haunted. I will say that. I also think people focus a lot on the tuberculosis part of the hospital, but they don't think about the Woodhaven geriatric facility after. You know, I feel like there's probably definitely hauntings from that, but people just don't focus on it. And it kind of makes me feel bad for those spirits. Right. I know. I'm a lover. But, um, you know, I think about people going in, they're always trying to contact tuberculosis patients and the victims, as you say, from that. But, you know, people should also think about it being the geriatric facility. Obviously, it was in horrible condition because the state came in and shut it down. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I mean you know, with a nursing home, but you know, sanatorium's a lot more sexy. 
<laughs> but that's, I mean, you know, if you think about when you go to a nursing home, you know, you're not people that are like super healthy and like gonna, you know, they have years and years and years ahead of them are not going to a nursing home. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people that's, you know, the final moments or final years of their life, they went there. Right. And so there's absolutely no reason, you know, they were probably, you know, upset. A lot of people probably had dementia. And so they were confused. They didn't understand what was going on around them. And so there's going to be a lot of that energy still there. Right. I wonder if anyone that went there as a geriatric patient had ever been there. When the sanatorium when was. When the sanatorium. That'd be interesting. They probably would not want to go back. Probably not, but that would come into those emotions. Right. You know? So. All right. That's all I got for this episode. All right. Well, if that's all you got, that's all I got. All right. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Until Dawn Podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Until Dawn Podcast. Or you can email us at Until Dawn Podcast at gmail.com. And we really would like to hear from people. We got that text. I remember you came up and told me we got a text. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. I was so excited. I'm all excited when we get a text or a I phone was like, call. Oh my God, really? So. Did you give out the number? No, I did not. I'll you let did, you do that. You didn't give out the number? Yes, okay. I'll let you do that. So, like she said, you can call or text or send us a text message at 913 Dawn, which is 3296. I'm still, I'm still excited because we actually got the word Dawn in our phone number. I'm excited because that's my middle name. <laughs> well, that's why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> and you know, you can leave a voicemail. There is, I think, like a three-minute time limit on it. But if you have more than that, just call. Call again. Leave another message. And I will, you know, I'll piece it all together and make it sound good. Did someone call us and leave a voicemail? Not this time. But, yeah. I mean, if you want to, give us a call. Leave a message. We'll play it on the show. Did you say, did you tell them to rate and review us on iTunes? Yes, rate and review us on iTunes. Any, everywhere else too because you know we're on we're on Podbean we're on Podcast Addict uh, all the other ones Stitcher I think we're on Stitcher Google Play we're on Google Play so you know anywhere that you rate and review us if you really want to help out the show doing that really helps out it makes people makes it a lot easier for people to find us and we'd really you know greatly appreciate it you got anything else? that's it that's it alright well until next time I'm Koi I'm Felicia and this is Until Dawn.